I wonder whether you, like me, have ever missed the significance of times that you've been living through. I remember back in 1997, it was a lovely Sunday morning. I was about to set off for church and I turned the radio on just for the headlines and heard that Princess Diana had been killed in a motor accident. And I thought to myself, hmm, I wonder whether I should mention this today. And of course, I arrived at the church and found the pianist weeping over the keyboards. And then back in 2001, I had a placement student. He'd been to see a couple in the parish and come back to the office and said, oh, they had the telly on and there were these planes that flew into the Twin Towers in New York. And I thought, oh, might be on the news tonight. And then uh, just last year, in January, we heard about people in China succumbing to a mystery virus. Ooh, good job we don't live in China. It's so easy, isn't it, to miss the significance of what we're living through. And I believe that this is the message of Palm Sunday for us today. Um, in Luke's Gospel, when Jesus arrives at the city of Jerusalem, it says in the message version, when the city came into view, he wept over it. If you had only recognised this day and everything, everything that was good for you, but now it is too late. They didn't realize the significance of what was happening. Matthew in his gospel tries to draw attention to how significant these events are by linking them back to the prophet Zechariah. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. It was really significant. This had been foretold by the prophet Zechariah, which raises the question, did Zechariah's contemporaries appreciate the significance of what he was saying to them? Because as far as they were concerned, he was talking about rebuilding the temple, about rebuilding the city of Jerusalem, as we've been thinking about over the past few weeks through the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. But Actually, Zechariah was talking about something far more significant than that. Of course, we all have our personal dreams. You may, um, you may have the dream of owning your first house and then you get your first house and it's great, but you have the dream house in mind that one day you hope you'll live in. Or you start your first job, it's a great job, you give yourself to it to make a success of it, but you have your dream job in mind that one day you will uh, be placed in. And these dreams can be rather like the false summits of Scarfell. I don't know if you've climbed up Scarfell in the Lake District, but you get to one summit and then there's another one to climb. And it's, the actual summit is always eluding you. Zechariah says that we can be prisoners of our hopes and dreams. Let me read to you from Zechariah chapter 9. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. Even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. Prisoners of hope, what a, an evocative phrase that is. It may be, of course, that they were prisoners and hoping. But some commentators have said it is possible that Zechariah was saying that they had a hope which was too small and to which they were imprisoned. Hope is literally in, Greek, in Hebrew, uh, a cord. You remember the story of Rahab. Um, 
She lived in Jericho, and as the Israeli armies advanced on Jericho, uh, she dangled from her window in her house on the wall a scarlet cord. And she was hoping that when the invading armies saw that, they would recognize that she was with them and that she and her family would be spared. It was a cord of hope, and it, hope is like that. It's this, this cord that we hold on to as we face the future. <clears throat> a prisoner of hope is a person who's focused on a hope uh, that is so small that they are become totally incapable of receiving what God wants to give to them, which is so much bigger. Zechariah was presenting a far bigger vision in his prophecy. In chapter 8, he says this, This is what the Lord Almighty says. Once again, men and women of ripe old age will sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each of them with cane in hand because of their age. The city streets will be filled with boys and girls playing there. And he was talking about Jerusalem, but he was talking about more than that, wasn't he? Isn't this what all of us say a, a city should be like? And particularly at the moment, a city should be a, a safe place, a place where the streets are safe for old and young boys and girls, men and women. In chapter 8, that's his vision of the city. And in chapter 9, he talks about leadership. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And there's something in that which evokes a strong desire in us for leadership, which is humble. And particularly at a time when we see strong leaders rising up, uh, sacrificing their own population on the altar of their own ego. We say no. Leadership should be like this, humble leadership. But then in chapter 12, Zechariah says these words, as he talks about the leader that God sends, they will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. And we may say, yes, we can see how that works. We so often stick the knife into people that God brings to us to bring his message. And we, yes, we may have been amongst those who would call for Jesus to be crucified. And then at the end of his prophecy, Zechariah looks to a day when the whole of humanity is united under God. The Lord will be king over the whole earth. On that day, there will be one Lord and his name, the only name. And again, there's an echo in our hearts and we say, yes, yes, your kingdom come, Lord. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. Yeah, we have a dream. And these hopes and dreams that we carry in our hearts, which Zechariah was uh, describing in his prophecy. They are things which have been implanted in our history and in cultures throughout history. As C.S. Lewis pointed out, God has imprinted a dream, a hope in all humanity for a better world brought about by a saviour. What if these dreams 
What if these dreams could actually come together in history, in historical events? Well, that's what's happening on Palm Sunday. I don't know whether you uh, follow Jordan Peterson at all, uh, a modern thinker, but um, there's, I want to play you a little clip where he is talking about this. He's talking about these two things, which he refers to as the objective world, the world of our experience, and the narrative world. These, these things which are sort of imprinted in our human hearts and in cultures throughout history. And he says, what if, what if they come together in Jesus? Just watch this clip. So, okay, so you can think about Christ from a psychological perspective, and the, the, criti the critic, my critic, this particular critic that I've been reading, said, well, that, that doesn't differentiate Christ much from a whole sequence of dying and resurrecting mythological gods. And, of course, people have made that claim in comparative religion. Joseph Campbell did that, and Jung to a lesser degree, I would say, but Campbell did that. But the difference, and C.S. Lewis pointed this out as well, the difference between those mythological gods and Christ was that there's a, there's a representation of, there's a historical representation of his, of, of his existence as well. Now, you can debate whether or not that's genuine. You can debate about whether or not he actually lived and whether there's credible objective evidence for that, but it doesn't matter in some sense because this, well, it does, but there's a sense in which it doesn't matter because there's still a historical story. And so what you have in the figure of Christ is an actual person who actually lived plus a myth. And in some sense, Christ is the union of those two things. The problem is, is I probably believe that, but I don't okay. know. I don't, I'm amazed at my own belief and I don't <laughs> understand it. Like, because I've seen... Sometimes the objective world and the narrative world touch. You know, that's Jungian synchronicity. Yeah. And I've seen that many times in my own life. And so in some sense, I believe it's undeniable. You know, we have a narrative sense of the world. For me, that's been the world of morality. That's the world that tells us how to act. It's real, like we treat it like it's real. It's not the objective world, but the narrative and the objective world touch. And the ultimate example of that in principle is supposed to be Christ. But I don't know what to, and that seems to me oddly plausible. Yeah. Well, but I still don't know what to make of it. It's too, partly because it's too terrifying a reality to fully believe. I don't even know what would happen to you if you fully believed it. If you believed in the story of Christ, or if you believed that history and and let's say the narrative make meet, let's both. Say. I yeah. think I think you because when you believe that, you buy both those stories. You believe that yeah. the narrative and the objective can actually touch. So Jordan Peterson recognizes that if it is true, if the dream that we carry in our hearts his, and historical reality come together in Jesus. That is frighteningly powerful. The people of Jesus' day did not see the significance of what was happening. 
When Jesus entered Jerusalem, writes Matthew, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Well, yes, but so much more. Something much more significant was happening on Palm Sunday. All the dreams that a nation had been carrying, all the stories that had been somehow embedded in cultures throughout history about God who comes to rescue, but who in rescuing has to die, were breaking through into historical reality in this one person, Jesus. And so it is so important that we don't allow ourselves to become prisoners of small hopes because there is a much bigger hope. In 2018, The Guardian carried the story of Nigel the Gannet. Some um, biologists on an uninhabited island, Manor Island, off the north coast of New Zealand, near Fiji, had set up this project. They wanted to attract again a gannet colony, so they, uh, they uh, put some concrete gannets on the island in a hope of attracting these birds. And in 2013, the first gannet for 40 years to land on the island came and made his home there. He was Nigel. And Nigel the gannet fell in love with one of these concrete gannets. Now, some years later, after Nigel had made his home on Manor Island, some real gannets arrived. And um, Nigel didn't take any notice of them. And when they called him to follow him as they left the island, he chose to stay. And he died on the island next to his concrete love. And it's, a, it's such a powerful picture of what it means to be a prisoner of hope, to be a prisoner of a small hope and not to be somebody who has recognised the larger hope. You know, all the hopes and dreams of all the years and all cultures and every human heart find their fulfilment in Jesus. Jesus is, in Jesus, the great the great masterpiece of history, the great epic drama that we recognise and we dream about comes to intersect with human existence. Paul writes these words in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. No matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him the Amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. And if that is the case, then our lives take on true significance when they sink with Jesus. As we've said so many times, it's not about God making something of our little stories, but of our stories finding their meaning in the big story. And on Palm Sunday, that is what's going on. It's an event of huge significance that the people of Jesus' day did not appreciate. It's an event that Zechariah had some inkling of as he addressed the people of his day. 
but it's the event which begins this great denouement of God's drama as Jesus comes into the city to be crucified. And I want to invite you over the next week to enter into that a little bit more so that you can allow your lives to become more significant as they take their place in God's big story. So why not sign up for the Urban Retreat on Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday? Why not join the Meditation Hour on Friday? And I look forward to, to celebrating the resurrection with you next Sunday because our lives are significant when they find their significance in this great story which breaks into human existence through this wonderful person, Jesus Christ, the Son of God.